0: This short podcast accompanies our global M&A campaign and highlights one of the disruptors we expect to see more of in 2019, political interference in cross-border M&A, with foreign investment regimes being strengthened and new regimes being introduced. I'm Veronica Roberts, a partner in Herbert Smith Freehill's London office in our antitrust team and global head of our FDI group, and I'm here with...
1: Alex Kay, hi. I'm also a partner in the firm's London office with a focus on cross-border public and private m and
0: So to start with, Alex, it's probably useful, isn't it, just to recap on the key political themes sitting behind the global shift to a more protectionist outlook?
1: Yeah, and I think one of the key things that we've really noticed as a driver is the weight of China as an exporter of capital and the combination of that with the increasing complexity of global supply chains and value chains. And this really presents challenges, Because on the one hand, capital inflows are welcomed. Countries want inward investment. But there's also a systemic concern about having too many important parts of the economy under foreign ownership. So because of this, governments are focusing more on the imbalance in foreign investment opportunities for their national businesses. Because not all of the nation's exporting capital are actually that open to receiving it.
0: And some of the foreign investment regimes, most notably CFIUS in the States and FERB in Australia, have been around for some time, since the 1970s or 80s. And so for some time, governments have had the power to intervene where national security, in the traditional sense of the phrase, has been threatened, so primarily in defence and energy infrastructure deals, for example. But the concept of national security is really being stretched now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think governments are reframing what national security means in the light of the changes in the economy at large. So in particular, things coming out of the growth of AI, data storage, the value of data, and also cross-border capabilities of technology industries. And this makes sense, because as well as the increasing amount of private provision of what might previously have been organised, owned and provided by the state – technological change means there's a lot more interconnectedness between different activities. So if you look at the most recent decisions prohibiting or inter- intervening in acquisitions in the US under the CFIUS regime, they've actually been in the semiconductor sector, for example, the Canyon Lattice deal. So it means for us as deal doers, hopefully, that when we we need to consider FDI risks at the planning stage of a transaction – and to remember that the net's being cast even more widely in terms of what's regarded as a critical industry or as a threat to national security. It's not just relevant, say, in an energy deal or a defence deal.
0: That's right. So much of the regime change we've seen recently has involved countries adding additional sectors of the economy to be covered by their foreign investment regimes with a real focus on tech, artificial intelligence and also communications infrastructure infrastructure. So deal parties really do need to anticipate, don't they, very early on where politically contentious issues could be at play?
1: That's right. And I think they also have to have a global strategy on this because in the same way that the economy and our industries are more interconnected, frankly, our regulators are too. And we've seen examples of FDI agencies coordinating their approach to deals behind the scenes. So that means that you've got to be saying the same thing to each of them. Otherwise, you're going to trip up on that inconsistency and map out the implications of that process for a deal timetable.
0: That's right. And then, and then also remembering that the trigger for intervention varies across the different foreign investment regimes. So some of them are triggered by the acquisition of a controlling stake. Germany has just reduced its threshold down to a 10% or more shareholding, where you're looking at a shareholding in a critical infrastructure asset.
1: You're right. I mean, the first thing you've got to check is what the legal position is. But even where the FDI regimes aren't formally triggered, governments may impact a deal in other ways. For example, they may have change of control as counterparties in state defence contracts, or they can actually exert pressure through briefing of the media, in particular if there is a media outcry about a potential national champion being bought. So as well as understanding the legal hurdles, I think investors need a holistic approach, which importantly includes their PR messaging.
0: I agree. And, and then, of course, uh, almost behind the scenes, we need to consider from the outset whether any remedies could be offered up to ease the regulatory process. Now, of course, we may not to sh- want to show our hand in advance, but it is worth us considering, and we often do consider with deal parties early on, what remedies they'd be prepared to give to get a deal through so that they're in a position to act quickly if required. And one thing we've noticed about the deals that we've got through these foreign investment regimes is that often clearance is eased where the deal parties are prepared to give remedies such as agreeing to protect security sensitive information or agreeing to grant the relevant government access rights to the facilities for example.
1: That's right and in a UK public takeover context, which tends to be the most high profile, these kind of promises could be reflected in something called POUs, post-offer undertakings, and we've seen more of those in the UK recently. And of course you do need to cater for potentially more significant remedies in certain cases, so parties have to think in advance and agree about the risk allocation and figure out what's going to happen if one of these issues come up, and whether that should give rise to an end of the deal, or a break fee, or reverse break fees.
0: And and despite some of this uncertainty that we've been talking about, we have found, haven't we, that in some of the cases we've worked on, that early engagement with the right people at the right time and at the right authorities has paid off.
1: That's right. And look, this all sounds quite scary, in particular if you're used to dealing in in a... environment where deals will get through only subject to antitrust, which has been the traditional thing to focus on. I think this is just going to be the new normal. And what it means is you can still do deals, it just takes planning. That said, there's further regime change on the horizon.
0: That's right. So in the UK, we saw the government publishing a white paper in July last year. And they're, they're Uh, proposal is that they want to introduce a new foreign investment regime which will be overseen by a new UK government department and as we know the government does have power to intervene and look at national security concerns in mergers in the UK in certain limited circumstances but this new regime that they're currently proposing would give them much broader scope to review transactions from a national security perspective It doesn't have any turnover or market share type thresholds and it is going to apply economy wide, although they have said that their main focus will be on critical infrastructure and the the technology areas we've been talking about. But the scope of it is really interesting. It's going to be a voluntary filing system and the government has estimated that as and when it's brought into force, they will probably get around 200 notifications per year 100 of which they will bring in for a more detailed review. And they're anticipating that remedies might be appropriate in around 50 of those cases per year. So that, that's a very different regime compared to, for example, the merger control regime we have in the UK at the moment, where the Competition Authority is looking in detail to around 60 mergers a year But, as I said, this is currently a proposal. The government's just finished consulting on that proposal and is talking about bringing draft legislation in for review in spring or possibly summer this year. So that's definitely one for us to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think whatever the scope of what's finally implemented, more important will be how it's operated in practice because the government has got a difficult balancing act on its hands um, the UK proposal that uh, you just talked about emphasises that the UK is very much open for business post-Brexit. Uh, but and that chimes with what was in the Conservative manifesto. But even in the manifesto, in the same paragraph, there was one line talking about the welcoming of investment, but on the other hand saying that investment needs to be of the right kind for the right people, in other words, not asset strippers.
0: That's right. And you see the same sentiment reflected in the recent EU proposals as well. So the EU isn't proposing its own foreign investment regime. So we're not going to see an EU CFIUS style regime. But what it is proposing is an umbrella organisation for the foreign investment agencies and its member states to liaise with each other, to talk with each other about the cases that they're reviewing.
1: Yeah, and I think... Look, at the beginning of this podcast, we started by talking about China, but it's really important to remember that these regimes generally apply to hostile actors who pose a threat to national security, and they could and likely will apply more broadly. Of course, for the really hostile actors, we have sanctions regimes, so people can't trade, trade at all. The thing that with this new plan is that it gives a really wide discretion. It'll be interesting to see how it's operated. Ultimate decision-makers are going to be politicians – And while for the UK, for example, they're going to publish their decisions, it must be a possibility that they'll be influenced by a variety of non-economic or security factors, especially if they've got a precarious majority or don't even have a majority. So there must be the chance that politically driven decisions could be taken in attempts to uh, protect national champions, even if they don't fall into what we'd traditionally view as key security um, prejudicing assets.
0: That's right. And and we've been putting together a useful interactive guide to the main foreign investment regimes worldwide that summarises the details of each regime, the potential scope, some of the cases to date, and timing as well, and gives a number of practical tips. So we'll we'll include a link to that with this podcast.
1: Yeah, I can completely endorse that. It really helps us establish the FDI approach early in deal planning. So do check it out.
0: Remember to check out our other podcasts in this series, where we discuss other disruptors to the M and A process, including antitrust regulators and shareholders, as well as the issue of talent and how retaining individuals is key to the success of an acquisition. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills.
1: For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.